Yo, what's up? This is the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick. This is Boobang. And Boobang has some thoughts on this new NBA coach dress code. He is mad. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about this. I think that this is a long time coming. And this goes all the way back to David Stern changing the rules for basketball players who are injured sitting on the bench, a.k.a. the Allen Iverson rule. Him, you know, what, what's the what's the new dress code? Um, you have to wear a suit. I mean, players have to wear a suit now. After Allen Iverson, you know, would wear baggy clothes to um, um, sitting on the sideline. David Stern instituted the suit rule. So, eventually, what it led to is an entire fashion trend of NBA players completely changing fa- overall fashion and then becoming sort of high fashion uh, for the past decade or so. Um, and now, and, and every, every also, uh, related to that is all the coaches were always wearing, um, suits, um, to, to games, which is hilarious to me because you're, you compare it to baseball where the, the coaches, the, the managers dress like the actual players, even though they're just obese, uh, or football where they're just dressed like, um, their little boy models for old Navy, uh, with khakis <laughs> and, and polos, um, you know, it was always weird that the NBA player, uh, NBA coaches were wearing suits, but after the bubble, uh, they allowed them to to dress down, not have to wear a, a coat jacket anymore, which means they get to wear polos and Under Armour dry fit pants and track suits, and as long as they all match. And I guess they have to match each other because it'd be weird if the opposing team was wearing uh, something totally different, um, uh, which was less casual or more casual. But I think it's a long time coming. I think. The players are are the main part of the game, so they should be dressed up, and the coaches should fade into the background and just all look uniform, which is great. It definitely does have. There's I can go off on sort of the racial um, and uh, <laughs> racial social economic reasons behind all of this that that are impactful, but I won't. Right, right. So, is this new dress code? Is it just during? the COVID seasons where there's no fans. And so, you know, really what's the point of getting dressed up and everything feels a little bit more casual? No, it's, it's from here on out. I think that's the case. I think I was reading up on it and apparently after they, after they realized that all the coaches had to wear suits back in the day, um, they, the NBA struck a deal with the men's warehouse. And so they all got men's warehouse suits. And so, in some ways, this is actually an economic decision now because every time I see what the Warriors uh, coaches are wearing, it's a totally different Warriors outfit. Like it's a different polo. Today they wore long sleeve white, t- uh, long sleeve black shirts. Right. And I feel like it's just going to be a promotion for all the new, all the new um, sportswear that forty-five <clears throat> year old to fifty-five year old fans can wear. Exactly. Because it's just the stuff that you would wear golfing. They're marketing to the old dudes. When I see something that I like, then I'll know that I should, uh, that I'm old. If I see something like, oh, that looks nice. Maybe I should buy one too. (laughs) Uh, I think it's great. I'll be honest. I like a good suit. So I may not fit in any of mine anymore. Uh, I'll I'll miss the suits. The only coach of the Warriors that wore a suit really well was Mike Brown. And there's only one head coach in the NBA that had a, that was, that knew how to pick out his suits. Do you know which one it is? In my opinion, can you guess? It's Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder. I think Kerr looks good in a suit. I mean, basically, if you're not fat and you have a suit that like kind of fits you and it's not too baggy or whatever, I think it looks fine. 
And Quinn Snyder's a skinny dude. Kerr looks good in the suit, but he's he's also dressed like the dad going to his kids' <laughs> um, college graduation. Um, this is the part of the podcast that I'm really excited about. Your deep analysis of Justinian Jessup of the, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Illawarra Hawks. I mean, I heard it pronounced a bunch of times when LaMelo played for them, but and I did look it up. Ilwara is a neighborhood south of Sydney. It's in a it's next it's next to Lake Ilwara. Ilwara. Yeah, I watched the highlights that everybody else watched of Jessup and kid can shoot, you know. I don't know how tall he is. Was he maybe six four or something? Um, but he can shoot. He he can shoot from three. He seemed to have a decent mid range, but I don't know. Like when they drafted him, what was the deal? Like, was he already signed to the Hawks? So I had a different theory about him without actually looking him up. I thought he was sort of a young up and coming player. He's actually, he spent four years at Boise State. And so in August, he signed with the Hawks of this year. Okay. And so I would imagine that's partly because he probably didn't, didn't know if he was going to get drafted, but also because it was in the middle of the pandemic and Australia was going to come. Australia was essentially open for business mm-hmm. uh, closer to the summer and they knew that they would play. Mm-hmm. So that's, that probably had a little bit to do with it. And so since the season was going to go anyway, it just made sense for him to just stay there and play, become a stash and um, a draft and stash guy. Yeah, he definitely seems to fill a need that the Warriors have. <laughs> a guy who can score, a guy who can shoot, uh, could hit three-point shots consistently. I don't know what he shoots from three, but if the plan is for him to finish out the season and then come over, like Bogut did. I don't even know the rhythms of these seasons anymore. I don't know if, if Australia is on the regular uh, season that they usually have. And I don't know what's going to happen to the NBA season, but if they need to bring them over and if they're looking like they're going to be making noise in the playoffs, you know, he'd be great, right? Like he'd be great just to, like we were talking about how little three-point shooting they have. And if they add this dude, yeah, that's that's helpful. And even for next season, I don't know. Um, but it's always good to have somebody like that in the in the system somewhere. It looks like the Iwara Hawks season ends in February. That's just a regular season, so I don't know if that's gonna if they're gonna make the playoffs or if there are playoffs in Australia. Um, one statistic about three pointers that I do want to bring up to you, and you tell me whether or not it's a bad statistic or a good statistic, is that in 2020, just Jessup broke the Mountain West Conference record for career three pointers when he passed BYU's Jimmer Fredette at 296. Is that good or bad that he's better than Fredette, Jimmer? I think it's... I think it's an omen. (laughs) I don't know if it's a good omen or a bad omen. The logic tells me if you just say so-and-so is better than Jimmer Fredette, I'm like, that's good. But if he's better than Jimmer Fredette (laughs) in the Mountain West Conference and like he... it, It could be dubious, but also Jimmer Fredette was a different type of player, right? Like sure, he could shoot the lights out allegedly but uh this guy just seems like he's a regular shooting guard who is okay shooting guard size maybe like jordan Poole size right whereas jimmer fredette was like i don't know dan dickow who could shoot <laughs> dan you're just comparing him because he's white um so i'm gonna move on uh, every everybody always asks oh so i don't know why every year everyone's always i always get asked where jimmer is like where is he playing right now i don't know why he comes up probably because of the comparisons with Clay at the time when they were drafted. I think they were drafted the same year, right? I feel like his name comes up when Clay comes up. Yeah, he was drafted before Clay, right? 
Yeah, so he's playing for the Shanghai Sharks right now, which is hilarious. I think that's a team that um, Yao Ming owns, right? Or he played for the for Shanghai. Oh. Yao Ming played for Shanghai before. Where did Marbury play? Oh, that's a good one. I think he played for Shanghai also. So Marbury is 43 years old now. He's a coach for the Beijing Royal Fighters. He last played 20 in 2018 for the Beijing Fly Dragons. And, the, and before that, he played for six years with the Beijing Ducks. And so my takeaway is how the hell does Beijing have three different CBA teams? <laughs> and how awesome is it that there's a team called the Fly Dragons? <laughs> wow. That's... Yeah, they're not even the Flying Dragons. They're called the Fly Dragons, like the Fly Girls. I want to talk about how, how good is the MVP. And we're talking about Giannis in a two-time MVP as somebody who's liable um, in, in the middle of the playoffs. I think what's scary now is you look at Giannis, two-time MVP most recently, and you think, do you trust him in game seven of the finals? And I don't even think it's a, it's a maybe. I would say no right now. For Giannis? Would you trust him? No, because I didn't trust him in games whatever where like he couldn't will his team to a victory in the most recent playoffs against who did they lose to? Did they lose to the Heat? Oh, this year? Yeah, they lost to the Heat. Giannis, I mean, he needs to expand his game a little bit more because when he gets in the playoffs, and again, it's also who is on his team as a, a supporting supporting cast, but people just wall up against him. You know, they figured out like some kind of defenses to stop him and he hasn't been able to adjust. I mean, I'm guessing he'll improve his outside shot and be more of a threat that way as he gets older. But uh, uh, the Giannis that I've seen up until this point, no, nah, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't trust him to come up with a clutch shot. Like I trusted Jimmy Butler more to come up with a clutch shot this year, you know? In conclusion, we never wanted you anyway, Giannis, <laughs> says every Warrior fan. I am definitely one of those fans who likes to say, oh, let's, let's, let's see what we got. You know, we don't need that person. What's the maximum you would have, would have traded? I mean, the Warriors would have, Warrior fans would have traded a lot, but like, what's the most, what's too much for you? Essentially, we, it had to be Clay, Clay or Dre. Would you want to, would you not want to trade either of them? So you would say so you would do you would do Wiseman, Minnesota next year, plus the first pick next year, and Clay, and probably two other first round picks. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. See, I'm I've always been the type that likes to build from the ground up. Seeing Wiseman, I'm not saying he's better than Giannis by any stretch of the imagination, but I like to see how these teams come together. And I've always been one of those guys that loved the KD years, but I was a little bummed that we didn't get to see what happened after Steph's 2015-2016 season if he didn't have to kind of pass it along. Yeah. I mean, he had, what he made 402 three-pointers, man, and he'd won the MVP unanimously. And if they win the finals and KD doesn't come, like what does he look like after that? Is he going to take it to another level? And we'll never know. So in that respect, in terms of Giannis, yeah, sure, I'd love to have him on the team, but I think what you just proposed probably would have been too much for, for me. And I'm trying not to be sentimental. I mean, you only threw Clay in there, right? So it's yeah. not sentimentality. It's like talking all these picks. And I've seen, I mean, we've all seen these deals where you 
give away like the Herschel Walker deal, right? You referenced that. And where like a team just gives it all away and then they stink. I mean, the Warriors kind of did that when they got Chris Webber. You know, they gave away all their number ones for a bunch of years, maybe like three years to to the Magic. And then we ended up with Tom Gugliotta. And then back to the Steph um, MVP year, I my take around that is if you think about the Warriors championship in 2015 and then look at the regular season that followed with the 25-game win streak and then stop it right before the loss to the Cavs, if you count that championship and then the following regular season, I think that's the greatest basketball team of all time. I know that's a weird way to think about it uh, because it's not a full season. But if you think about that stretch from the championship through the regular season, it's, you know, it's the best regular season record in a championship the year before. So that's the best basketball team ever. I think that, you know, during this pandemic, when, there was no sports to watch or even write about for journalists. They were basically doing blogger content, you know, like the top, this, that, the other, the last 20 yeah. years on this team and comparing this era to that and this player to, to that other player, especially when the last dance, the Jordan doc came out, people were talking about that team compared to the first KD warriors team as like the best team. And I'm still like, no, the Warriors team that lost to the Cavs, man, that team was like amazing. That team was, um, I I think that team should be in the conversation, you know, like obviously they won 73, but they lost in the finals. And so that's the stain on them, right? They didn't win the title. I enjoyed watching that team way more than I enjoyed watching any three of the KD teams. Yeah, that team was phenomenal. I don't think people understand how good that team was and how they just blew teams away. I was watching the game today and I realized I really should have just watched more of all the the glory years of the Warriors every single regular season yeah. more instead of living my life. Yeah, I watched a lot of that uh, uh, that 24 game win streak or whatever. And uh yeah. That that offense was just unbelievable. And they just had all the right pieces fitting together. Yeah. No, that that's still my favorite Warriors team, unfortunately, the one that lost. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm going in the deep dive with this with the um with the Warriors trade with the Magic yeah. and have you ever followed that trade to see what those three picks that got traded with Penny Hardaway for Chris Webber became and then compared it to the three picks that came back with Tom Gugliotta because I did it and I was underwhelmed by all six of those picks. So, there's way too much. I need a diagram to explain it. Oh, the picks. Okay, the Warriors drafted then traded Number three pick, Penny Hardaway, and three first-round picks for Chris Webber. Those three picks turned into Todd Fuller in 96, Vince Carter in 98, and Mike Miller in 2000. And Mike Miller? Yeah. So basically, those could have turned into Kobe Bryant and Vince Carter. (laughs) Yeah. So it could have been, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, you have two (laughs) Hall of Famers in those three picks. Potentially, right? I mean, like if... They obviously if they they passed on uh on uh I mean technically you have a Hall of Famer potentially Chris Webber too I mean do you think Chris Webber is going to be a Hall of Famer Man he was so good I think he deserves it and if the refs didn't blow the Western Conference Finals whatever year that was 2002 and C Web got to the finals and probably won because there was no other good team in the East then he's a shoe in right 
Have you been to the Hall of Fame? Uh, no. So the, the funny thing is that I learned when I went is that you get inducted for one thing. Like if you were a player and then a coach and a GM and a broadcaster, you have to be good at one of those things. And that's when you get pushed in. And so <laughs> my theory is if they allowed you to, to just be able to just have your whole career count towards basketball, then Chris Webber is a shoe in because then you, you know, I think he's like 5% away from being a Hall of Famer. Um, but that extra 5% he can just make up for with, with being a broadcaster, <laughs> which is also why I think Steve Kerr should be in the Hall of Fame as a player, uh, coach, and, um, and GM. Um, I think it's weird that they split it all up, but I guess that's what makes you have to be the best at something. So maybe they have honorary Hall of Fame. And I think it includes actually the, if it's two things, it includes college and pros too. Oh, they include those together. I think so. Then I definitely think he should be in. I mean, again, if they actually beat either Duke or North Carolina in the Final Four, then again, shoe in, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Do you remember the Fab Five? I, I read the. It was one of the first nonfiction books I read. <laughs> so. I was in high school when the Fab Five played and I can, you know, when I see kids shoot three pointers nowadays and take on some of the mannerisms of current players and Steph in particular, um, I can totally relate because everything about the Fab Five is everything that we did on the basketball court. We changed our socks. We changed our shoes. We changed like our, our shorts. I was, I played high school basketball and I, I wanted number five. I wanted Jalen Rose's number. That team was very transformative, both on the court and off the court. And it influenced so many people that uh, Weber from that and his playing career. I mean, he made the all-star team like five times. I figure if you're like a seven-timer, you're probably, you've probably had a career where you're a shoe-in. But um, five to me is like, eh, it could be borderline. But if you put it all together, his broadcasting, I think, detracts from uh, everything. Because I can't stand him on on the broadcast, I, I, his analysis really hurts my ears. <laughs> and I I love Chris Webber, I, I, you know, like I, I was so excited when the Warriors drafted him. But um, as a as a broadcaster, he has like this weird thing, like sounding really excited about something that is just really is not exciting at all. Yeah, and, and and his excitement sounds really fraudulent. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like okay, my job is to sound excited, so he sounds excited. Yeah, I got off of him as a broadcaster when there was one Warriors game that he was broadcasting, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, this is it, playing in Oakland, the most exciting place to play right now. The fans are fantastic." The game, and he was just going off. I'm like, "What the fuck are you saying, bro?" <laughs> as if like, are you not aware? Are you just talking to all new warrior fans? Because we still hate you to some degree. And now that you're talking about like, this is the greatest place to play. Can you just flash back to when you were 22 and just, can you go back in time and tell yourself to like, not be a dick when you were drafted um, and grow up. So that's when I got off of him as a, uh, I was like, I got off of the, uh, the Chris Weber um, broadcasting train. I mean, the fact that how popular Jalen Rose is now is you just look at all the people named Jalen that are in the NBA yes. coming in. His name was made up, right? That name didn't exist before. I think it was a combination of two two people that his mom knew, someone named Jay something, probably Jason, and someone named Len, like Leonard. And they she added mm. it together to create Jalen. And so before him, he's the first Jalen, apparently. That's what he says. So 
that's how popular. Yeah, that, that goes to show his influence because he was the point guard on that team. Okay, so were you one of those Warriors fans that hated Chris Webber? Because I was one of the Warriors fans that was really mad. I was at the game where the, he was on the bullets and he came back for the first time and he separated or dislocated his shoulder and everybody cheered. I was so like irritated by that, you know, um, everybody like just was clapping and cheering and it was, it was really a terrible, terrible scene. I didn't hate him. I, I thought we got a good haul back for him. I, for some reason thought Tom Gugliotta was a really great player because back then when I was a kid, I didn't realize that people, some teams could win a trade, right? I thought it was always an even trade as a kid. Just like if you're trading basketball cards, you're like, oh yeah, I will trade you, you know, five Scottie Pippen rookie cards for uh, a Michael Jordan rookie card back then. That's not even close to being worth it. But I just assumed that Tom Gugliotta was going to be as good as Penny Hardaway because it was a similar trade. I was like, okay, then we're going to be great. And those first round draft picks are worth a lot because they're first round draft picks. But as an adult, yes, I did not appreciate him. After I heard about all the stuff that he was saying on the way out, like how he apologized, like he realized it was his fault for being um, um, childish and not being able to live away from home. Yeah, I, I, I felt like uh, that was always Don Nelson's fault. And I guess the story has always been, at least in my mind, that uh, Cohen just listened to what Don Nelson said about this. And so they traded him. And then they got rid of Don Nelson a year or two later. That's so annoying. Let's just blame it on Cohen. It's Cohen's fault. You know, like one difference I see between uh, Lakers fans and Warriors fans, and maybe this is too obvious, but like Lakers fans, they believe in that exceptionalism. And so they always think, it's going to turn out right. And for Warriors fans, even when it didn't for 10 years, exactly. And for Warriors fans, uh, they always assume it's going to like go wrong. (laughs) I mean, the difference is there's a lot of new warrior fans who don't go that far back to remember the pain. (laughs) And the second thing is Chris Cohen, God rest his soul. I have no idea where he is now. No, no, I'm just, I have no idea. He's not around anymore. Like we have a guy who is paying $68 million for Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, on a dollar dollar for dollar, pound for pound basis. <laughs> this is not the Chris Cohen years. Yeah, I mean, he's playing on a contract year. So at least the money is going into a good place. It's, uh, it's going to the tax, which will get distributed to the bottom um, the bottom teams that need revenue sharing. So I think that money's probably going to Oklahoma City anyway. So goddamn Oklahoma City. Man, Oklahoma City. They're just they're just riding out the bad times. I know it's like the dust bowl, but they're chilling. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Cool. So that is another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out at OaklandWarriors.com. Thanks. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time, and go Dubs.